But Paul reminds them to rejoice as it is safe, he said, for we fall back on a salvation that is based on faith in Christ alone. No matter the circumstances of our lives and what they'll bring, we are called to rejoice for all things that are ours through faith in Jesus Christ. You're looking too far for that need you have inside. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. At the end of chapter 1, beginning of chapter 2, it was a theme of unity that Paul went into and told us that we were to be found standing fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And the theme of unity was then exemplified through the humility of our exalted Savior, Jesus Christ, by his death, burial, and his resurrection to sit at the right hand of the Father. They taught a works-based salvation, and instead of faith in Jesus Christ and Christ alone, they taught faith plus works equals salvation. And so Paul's going to begin to close out the letter, but he's also going to shift themes because he really wants to speak to the people now and really speak to this issue of the Judaizers that was plaguing the church at that time. So I'm going to read through verses 1 through 11, ask God to bless this message today, and then we'll go through the teaching. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks that he might have confidence in the flesh, I more so, circumcised on the eighth day, of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. But indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found by him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, 
that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may obtain to the resurrection from the dead. And Father, I pray that you would bless the teaching of your word this morning, that, Lord, we would gain fruit from it for our lives, that we would realize that our salvation is faith-based. And if we're guilty of a works-based salvation, may we confess of those things today and come into a right relationship with you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, he begins by saying finally, and usually when you have a finally, it means that you're closing out a letter, but he has another finally. We sang it earlier, finally, brothers, whatsoever things are true. That's found in Philippians 4, 8. So this is a transition, but it's not the final finally that he's going to use. So he's not actually closing the letter here, but he uses the finally in this portion of Scripture to have a transition. And then he goes on to say, First of all, that finally, you're my brethren, and I want you to rejoice in the Lord. And he says, for me to write the same thing to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. So I I believe this morning, I'd been through this text a few times, but it just dawned on me in this reading through that this morning that perhaps Paul realizes that he's really going to hit strong on some of the people there in Philippi. They've been a church for at least 10 to 12 years. And those who had been caught up into this teaching of works for salvation that the Judaizers were teaching, that they were going to be nailed by Paul here in a moment. Before he nails them, he says, I want you to rejoice. I want you to rejoice. And it's not tedious for me to repeat this thing for you, but it's safe. It's safe that we are reminded that we can rejoice. And I believe it's a way of Paul trying to soften the blow. There's many reasons that we can rejoice in Scripture. In fact, Paul in Philippians in the New King James, in my old translation of the New King James, as you guys were reading the Proverbs, you guys are reading some different words that sometimes I can't read along with you, and we have the same translation of Bible, but yours has been revised and renewed and I'm stubborn. I, I have like 20 years of notes in this thing, and I'm not giving it up. But 10 times this word rejoice is found in this epistle alone. Now, when I looked in the Greek, it was three different Greek words that were translated as rejoice in Philippians in, in my text, and some of the other Bibles used rejoice eight times. But we could surely say between eight and 10 times, If they didn't use the word rejoice, they used glad, they used a joy, they used a word that reflected that joy that we are to have in Christ Jesus. And so when he says it's not tedious for me, he has been saying rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. He's been saying it a lot. I want you guys to rejoice. And there's several reasons. I I went through the New Testament and just began to pick out some of the reasons why we as believers can rejoice in the Lord. And Jesus said in Matthew 5, 12, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. We rejoice because our reward in heaven is great. In Luke 10, 20, Jesus said, But rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. So secondly, rejoice because our names are written in heaven. In Romans 5, 2, Paul said that we are to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. In Philippians 1.18, 
we rejoice because Christ is preached. And this is where he says, I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. In Philippians 2.16, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ Jesus. In Philippians 2.17, he says that if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. And so we rejoice through sufferings. Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. (laughs) Sorry, I just had to throw that in. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, Paul simply said, rejoice always. 1 Peter 1.8, Peter wrote, Whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We rejoice because at the end of us all, we are saved. In 1 Peter 4.13, but I rejoice to the extent that you are partakers of Christ's suffering. Again, we rejoice because of the suffering that we have with Christ. But he goes on to say that when his glory is revealed, that you may also be with exceeding joy. That we rejoice in the future that we have in Christ Jesus. Our future that we have in heaven with him, but also we rejoice Here and now on this earth, even though we have to go through hardships and through sufferings, we rejoice. And again, I say we rejoice. For those who bought into the teachings of the Judaizers, they were about to get a rude awakening by Paul. But Paul reminds them to rejoice as it is safe, he said. For we fall back on a salvation that is based on faith in Christ alone. No matter the circumstances of our lives, what they'll bring, we are called to rejoice for all things that are ours through faith in Jesus Christ. I know that is easier said than done quite often, that we rejoice through the different circumstances that happen in our lives because we know in our lives that there are great hardship and a great many of you are going through some of those hardships right now. And, And if you're not going through them now, you've been through them in the past. And they're very difficult and they break our hearts sometimes and they they even cause us at times to cry out to the Lord and ask why. But we have been taught that we are to rejoice through these things. And, And I believe one of the ways that we can do this, and it's just a method that I have learned because I've had those moments when I've cried out to the Lord in in just heartache and in sorrow and in pain and wondering what the Lord's up to. Sometimes it has to do with ministry. Sometimes it has to do with family and the stuff that's going on in our family that you're just broken over these things. And in those moments when it seems like I get to my lowest point, I begin to reflect on the positive things as we went through this list of Uh, the New Testament of the reasons why we rejoice. And I discover that in the midst of these sorrows that I can truly rejoice because great is my reward in heaven. I can rejoice because my name is written in heaven. I can rejoice because of the hope of the glory that I have in God. I can rejoice that Christ continues to be preached on this earth. 
I can rejoice that in the day of Christ Jesus, that if I continue to run the course that the Lord has me on, that I will discover that my labors have not been in vain. And sometimes I confess to you, I, I feel like, what am I doing this for? Are they in vain or not? And then we're reminded that, no, they're not. I can rejoice because even if we are poured out and we're pouring everything out for the service of our Lord, that we can rejoice that we're doing this through faith that we have in Jesus Christ. We can rejoice. We can rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice always, even through suffering. Because we know that one day, we're going to rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory when we stand in heaven and really comprehend the fullness of the salvation of our souls. Today, we have that hope in Christ Jesus and the salvation that he affords us. But one day, that hope, although it's a as Paul would once write, a mirror dimly, one day we're going to see clearly. And in that, I can rejoice. Secondly, he goes into this having no confidence in the flesh in verses 2 and 3. He says, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. So he uses terms like dogs, evil workers, and mutilations. He's referring to the Judaizers when he uses these terms. And in the Old Testament, the Jews would cause Gentiles, they would call them dogs. In the New Testament, uh, that term was again used, but we find Paul using it here specifically. And for some of these, I have to believe that they had bought into this lie of a works-based salvation, but they were saved. They had been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, by faith in the name of Jesus Christ. And someone came along and said, well, you were actually nearly saved, but now you need to finish it off. And so some of these people, they were being deceived. They were being deceived because of hearing this teaching of works-based salvation. And Paul calls those who would teach such things, he calls them dogs, evil workers, mutilators. In Scripture, Gentiles were called dogs. In Revelation, we find the term used again in Revelation twenty-two fifteen, where it says dogs are connected with sorcerers, with the sexually immoral, with murderers, idolaters, those who love and practice lies. And here he ties it specifically to the Judaizers. One of the constant dangers that Paul fought against was this, the works for salvation. The Judaizers were Jewish believers, and then some of the Gentile believers who bought into this teaching, they were captivated by the teaching. It was a works-based salvation, a doctrine that they taught that in order for a Gentile to be truly saved, all males needed to be circumcised, and all needed to follow the teachings of the Mosaic Law. Paul called these Judaizers dogs, evil workers, mutilators, because they had put their confidence in their flesh. And those who attempt to keep the law in order to gain salvation, they have a grievous problem because the scripture tells us that in the law, there is a constant reminder of our sin. In Romans three nineteen and 20, Paul wrote this, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped 
and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. By the law is the knowledge of sin. And they were being taught that they had to keep the law, but we know that it's hard to even keep the Ten Commandments without expanding like they did, trying to better understand God's law. They expanded the Ten Commandments to 630 rules. Now, I have a problem with 10. They had to have a great problem with 630 rules of what they should do and what they should not do, most of them what they should not do. Peter, we find, struggled with this doctrine, and Paul had to confront him. We read about that in Galatians 2 and verses 14 through 16. But Peter, he had been ministering to the Gentiles of Galatia, and and then the Jews came from Jerusalem, and he withdrew. And in that portion of Scripture, it tells us even Barnabas, one of the first missionaries to the Gentiles, he pulled back from the Gentiles, began to have this Jews-only club going on. And Paul, he said, I had to confront them to their face. He had to deal with the issue right there. And the circumcision, they were Jewish people who were initially, it, it was part of the call of God for the Jews. It was right because God had required that for them. That in order for a Jewish person to have a right relationship with God. Circumcision was a command from God. And so it's not that circumcision in itself is wrong. But Paul later explains to us in Galatians 3, verses 23 and 25, but before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterwards be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith, but after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. So the law itself is a good thing. Circumcision itself is a good thing, but these were to keep the people until the time of Christ, that when faith was revealed, that a relationship with God was through faith in Christ, in Christ alone. Then the law was there set aside in the sense of, Salvation was no longer afforded a man or a woman through the keeping of the law because there was a problem in the keeping of the law is that we cannot keep it. We cannot obey the rules. We were talking to Lance last Sunday just talking about driving and he got caught with one of the rules of the road and he says, I never do it again. I I got caught, I got a ticket, and I don't do that anymore. And I'm thinking, well, I get caught, and I get tickets, and I still do it. It doesn't change me. And and just this new intersection over on Petite Lake Road, I just this year I got a ticket for rolling through a, a, a stoplight and getting the camera, taking pictures of me doing it, and I watched it on the computer, and I was guilty. I couldn't fight it. But I still do it, and I'm trying in my thick skull to learn to at least stop for three seconds before I actually make that right. And we're so guilty of it, so hard at times just for man-made laws. But the laws that God has given us, laws that 
the first half of that commandment deal with man's relationship with God, how we can have a relationship with God, and the second half of those Ten Commandments dealing with man's relationship with man and how we can live effectively as believers on this earth and relate rightly both to God and both to man. They're so difficult for us, and we have problems in keeping them. The Mosaic Law is good. But when we try to work it out in the flesh, Paul reminds us that we are to have no confidence in the flesh. In Romans 2, verses 28 and 29, Paul says, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and the circumcision that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, those whose praise is not from men, but from God. And I've noticed in church life, maybe we don't have this problem with the, as the Judaizers, as they had in the early church. And we don't have the problem with the needing to be circumcised. And I've never taught that anyone, a guy coming to faith in Jesus Christ, and never even asked, are you circumcised or not? It's, it's not part of our conversation that we have here in this country, but it was a concern for them. But we do have this works-based salvation that we can get caught up into. And it's a danger that every believer is in danger of falling into. And it's a trap. Because when we get caught up into the works-based salvation, it can be our church attendance. And I was thinking of a little old lady when I was a child on vacation with my parents one time, and I was pretty young, less than 10 years old, but we were on vacation. We were somewhere down in Mississippi or Arkansas, and it was Sunday. We were driving. Dad pulled over to go, and he found a Baptist church. He was Baptist. He found a church, and he, he took his family to church that Sunday morning. And, and that day, they were given a woman. I believe she was 88 years old, and they were given her her I've Never Missed Sunday School in the Last 88 Years pen. I don't know how long it's been, but her rack of, uh, of pins that she had on her chest, we did the same thing in our church. It was meant for the children to encourage them to go to church. And here we had a child of God who was in her, well in her 80s that had this chain of, I've not missed Sunday school in 30 years. Look at me. And, you know, God bless her, but that can become a thing of pride. You know, some people get those things and they put them and keep them in a drawer and you never see them again. And some people wear them as a badge of honor. Look at me. And when you wear something like that as a badge of honor, that's the dangers of works for salvation. It can be so many different things of prayer, of studying our Bible, of our tithing, and the things that we do in life that we in our mind think that we are being saved because of the things we do instead of the thing that he has done for us in his death, I should say things, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Our salvation is based on faith and not by works, but it's a danger that we can all get caught up in. It may not be the same type of danger that Paul was talking to specifically as far as the Judaizers, but we can all get caught up in this danger in the life that we live in. In Colossians 2.11, it says that you are the circumcised, that you have been circumcised, made without hand by the putting off 
of the body of sin of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. That our circumcision is not made by hands, but it's made without hands. It's the work of God in our life. And when we attempt to add to the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is a type of the circumcision of our flesh. When we try to have works for salvation, it's a danger that we can all fall into. It's a trap. But Paul said the true circumcision are those who worship God. They are those who worship God in the spirit, that they rejoice in Christ Jesus, and they have no confidence in the flesh. If you're a believer, I believe the Spirit is in every believer. It tells us that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, that He is the promise and the guarantee of our salvation until the day of Christ Jesus. So the Spirit is there. He's in us as believers. But are we operating in that full potential of His Spirit? I don't think we could imagine the effectiveness that Christ could work through this body if we came to know Christ and the fellowship of his suffering, to be known by him, to be found by him, and to have that power that is available to us. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I pray that you would just instill it in our hearts today. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.